just sang um, these words, falling into deeper waters, calling out to you. We're walking into deeper waters, going after you. And what I want to talk about this morning um, will require that to not just be in song, but be in action. Um, it's so important that we are not just uttering obviously words, but our actions and our words align. Everything Jesus said, he was. And so, as I said, part I want to talk about it. Must be a good message. Um, it's going to require us to do something. I was reading during the week how in Timothy, and it says that we need discipline um, because discipline not only shapes and forms the now, but it will shape and form the future. And it requires discipline to uh, seek him. If you haven't yet come into a posture of delight, and so for me, the, the discipleship process is discipline, desire, delight. Depending on the actual knowledge you have of God, depending on the real revelation that you've had, will determine whether you need to discipline yourself more than other people. So if you've come into a dimension of the Spirit where you are in desire, you find it quite easy to seek, you find it easy to go after, you find it not a chore, it's not hard to spend time either in prayer or the word because you have a desire to do it. No different to everything else. If you desire, love chocolate cake, it's easy to eat chocolate cake. If you have a desire to play sport, it is there. You wake up with it, you go to sleep with it. You don't have to try and motivate the desire to play. Well, it's no different with God. And that's what Timothy is saying. And he's saying discipline is good because it leads you into a dimension. You don't want to stay in discipline because it's the lowest form of discipleship. Delight is the highest form of discipleship. So ultimately, you want the discipline to take you to the desire, and then desire just takes you into delight. It's a delight to spend time. It's a delight to be with the body of Christ. It's actually a delight to lay one's life down. Why? Because you're living from a reality that's now within you. It's no longer trying to grab it from the outside and pull it in. It is within and it's coming, with it. it's coming out. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And I can appreciate what I'm about to say. So I'm going to pray Mel's prayer from last week. And it's actually really Paul's prayer. Um for the church. And he says this, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know, not know about, you will know. You will know what? 
you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. And so my title of this this morning is Living from His Resurrected Life. That you and I have been chosen, called, set apart to live from His resurrected life. Most of what is taught or is sung is about living for His presence. Rather than living from his presence. So it's always over there. We go to meetings hoping to see more of his presence. And I'm into God's presence turning up in a meeting. It's phenomenal. But Jesus promises another dimension of reality. And whatever Jesus says is to happen because he promises things. He says, you know what, if you come to me, I'm going to give you rest. So he's this awesome God that has these promises for his people that he loves. Why? Because he wants to see his people come into the fullness of who they're called to be, which is him. Not many gods, but made into his image. Why? So then we will glorify the Father and our lives glorify the Father And his glory is spread amongst the earth. That's how God is going to fill the earth with his glory, through the church. Not necessarily through a manifest present experience that a lot of the church is praying for and believing for. Now, if it happens, awesome, but that means that's void of me to a point. And I want to live from the dwelling presence. I want to live my life being a vessel that's full And I live from that place. Anybody else want to live from that place? Because that's what he promises. And so we have to contend and grapple with the fact that there is a dimension for us that we may not be in yet or experiencing. And Christianity is to be experienced. It's not to stay in a book. You don't go study Christianity. You become a follower. It's not something that you go and get a degree in. It's someone you become. If you have a degree in the book, great. But I hope that you are demonstrating the reality to the intellectual knowledge you have. Because if you haven't, then it's worthless. In fact, the reality is you're probably going to be like a person that the Bible describes. And we all know who they were. Not all of them, because some of them became followers. But there is a realm and a dimension that is to be in us and us living from. And Mel articulated it beautifully last Sunday. So if you weren't here and you haven't yet listened to it at least once, because I urged us all to listen to it, how many times do we need to forgive? Seven? Seventy times seven. I would say to you today, go listen to that message, 70 times seven. You'll be busy listening to the same thing over and over 
and over. Do you know that's the pattern of which Jesus taught? Over and over. Why? Because we're so hard of hearing. Over and over and over and over. The kingdom is like this. The kingdom is like that. The kingdom is like this. Why is he given so many examples of the same thing? Because he's hoping that ears are alert, but at the same time he's hoping that if he describes the kingdom as a farm situation, the farmers might get it. If he explains it like a fisherman, the fisherman might get it. If he explains it like a merchant, the merchants might get it. So Mel was describing a reality last Sunday that you and I are to live from. And she used this word transcendence. How many people know what the word means? I didn't. I knew it had power behind it, but I didn't actually know what it meant. So I went and had a look. And it says this. It's an existence or experience beyond the normal or physical level. So it's an existence or an experience beyond the normal or physical level. So we, and I'm going to state this again, this is my main point, so if you're making notes, this is what it is. We are called to live from this resurrected life position, which is that. It's beyond the physical. But Greg, I'm in the physical, yep. But there's something within me that trumps the physical. There's something greater or someone greater in me that trumps all the limits of the physical, and I'm actually operating beyond the physical, even though I live in the physical. I'm not lofty, I'm not dreamy, I'm not spending time out of a body thing. I have this spiritual dimension. It's a person called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has been revealed in me. God's word has been revealed in me to such a measure that I'm partaking and participating in something that goes beyond anything physical. Wow. It trumps and it overrides the natural. I'll say that again. It trumps and it triumphs and it overrides the natural or the physical. You and I, before we know him, we are of the earth, aren't we? We are earthly. And the reality is, unless we have our minds renewed, we can stay earthly. So although we've received the Spirit of God and we are justified by grace... The reality is our minds don't get renewed to that reality, so we stay thinking exactly the same way we've always thought, which means we didn't realize what Jesus actually bought and paid for, and we never enter into a realm of a dimension of the Spirit because our minds aren't being renewed to this reality that actually exists. Does that make sense? So we can be His, but still actually be of the earth in its ways in its thinking, in its systems. And we can, as we've been looking at, follow God and try and build the church through those ways. But it's void of life. 
The Bible says this, you have a form of godliness, but you have denied its power. What does a form of godliness look like? Well, let me tell you, we're looking at it. It can look like this. It can look like this. It can look like putting money in a bucket. It can look like going overseas to Cambodia. See, you can have a form of what it looks like, but deny the power of the Spirit for transformation so you never actually enter into the real thing. And then you read Titus, and Titus said, your godliness will literally be defined by the true knowledge that you have and that you carry. And that is whose knowledge, who is the truth, Jesus Christ. So I want to, and I am talking about a dimension that is found in him and he lives in me. And as I abide in him and he abides in me, he promises me living water that literally trumps everything of the natural. And he says this living water will be a well. We've been talking about wells. We're going to hear a word from Dave McCracken, a well-known prophet to the nations who prophesied three years ago that we are becoming or to become wells who will literally bring living water out of us. Well, Jesus promises the same thing in John 4. Those words, though, am I moving towards, from the song, this reality? Am I going to discipline myself today, make a choice of my will to let go of the things that currently hold me, maybe bind me, my attention, my affections? I'm not talking about sins. I'm talking about things that we are doing, stuff that we love more than him, and go, you know what? Today is the day that I've heard a reality that I've acknowledged I'm not in, but I want to be in. So I'm going to put some things in place to shift from this perspective and start walking over here while I then ask him to birth love in my heart so the discipline becomes desire, which ultimately, if I taste and see of God, becomes a delight, and I'm now found completely and utterly in this position my whole life. I'm never leaving Mary's position at the feet of Jesus being in absolute delight, gazing into his eyes while Martha is busy and distracted and worrying about every other thing on the planet. So we have a choice as to what are we going to do with what we're hearing and what I'm about to unpack because this reality that I'm talking about can be experienced. It's in him. It's to be in us. And it trumps and it overrides the natural. It is truly and utterly phenomenal. And like Mal said last week, trying to put words to it does not do it justice. There is no language on the planet that can describe the reality. I don't care if it's Hebrew or Greek. There is no literal language of this planet, of the world, that can describe the reality that can be found in him, in us, that we are called to live from. The challenge is we will be found seeking it, asking for it, because you do not understand love and you do not understand God before you have received those things. You cannot, we cannot 
go on a mental pursuit of trying to understand his love. We have to receive his love through the power of the Spirit, which brings understanding. We are so back to front in our approach to trying to know who he is. Why? Because we are of the earth still. Let me read you 1 Corinthians 15. The first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. Then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy, from the soil, created from the soil. Okay? Actually thinks from this dimension too. Hence the whole renewing of the mind through the power of the Holy Spirit. We think opposite to God. We live opposite to God. God has to rescue us from this state and then continue to renew our minds over a lifetime. Can be a heartbeat, depending on how gracious he is and how hungry we are, I believe. So you can come into greater realities of depth of understanding depending on the hunger and the desperation of our heart. So it is the steadfast and sudden thing all wrapped up in one. Sometimes it can be a longer process. Other times it's like... The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. So the opportunity we have is to be rescued from a dimension called the kingdom of darkness and literally have our whole being transformed the likeness of God. So we literally are people from heaven living on the earth now. So he does that in seed form. He saves us. He justifies us by his blood. He actually covers us through this incredible thing, through this thing called grace. But grace is also the empowerment of his power to live and come into the resurrected life of Christ. See, too many followers are trying to take their old life and make it better. It's a whole new life. It's a whole new way of being. It's a whole new way of doing and being and everything. There is nothing of the old that fits into the new. It's called resurrected life. So it's like the old life stays dead. And this is what's hard because we physically get up, don't we? You physically get up so you don't realize that you're actually still dead because you go, I'm still alive. But from his perspective, you're dead. We're dead. And now I come and I breathe my life into you. And then I say, come follow me because I'm going to take you on a complete journey of having what's left that's still in you renewed through my power. So then you're able to fully live from my reality that I lived in on the earth that none of you can see because you can't see in me. You only see the physical demonstration of me, but you can't see my heart. You can't see the light, but I'm demonstrating it to you. This is why some, one person can be in this, what I'm talking about, this position, and it's being demonstrated, and the other person's right beside going, maybe not even aware of it. But there is a realm, guys, for us to come into that exists behind the veil. The Holy of Holies, where does it live? 
Where is that position? Where does the spirit live now? In us. It never used to, though. It used to live in a temple. It used to live in a tent. So we have to realize that we are under a new covenant or the completion of a covenant that was started at the beginning. So let me rephrase it. It's one whole thing that we're coming into. It started here, and in a portion in history, God would come upon individuals, but not on a whole. The whole never got what the individuals got. They would see God externally. So he would turn up in a tent, manifest presence. Whoa, amazing. But what that wouldn't be would be within them. And so you see Exodus and Moses saying in Exodus 3 saying things like this. If your presence doesn't go with us, then what will separate us from the people? What will make the difference? You better turn up with us, external of us, because what's going to make the difference between us and the people of the world? Then God had this incredible idea 2,000 years ago where he said, you know what, we're going to change this. We're actually going to pour the Spirit into all of the people. Aren't you privileged to be born after the cross? But are we living in it? Are we actually living in what was bought and paid for at the cross? It'd be criminal not to be, wouldn't it? So I know the Father's got me today declaring a realm for you and I that we are to walk in and come into. Because it would be criminal for him to go through what he went through and to fall short of it, wouldn't it? Do you want to get to the end of your life on a deathbed and then him show you a reality and go, this is what it could have looked like. My love was covering you the whole time and it was their grace to empower it. But you either didn't know because you weren't taught it or you were taught it, but you really weren't interested in it. I would want to know if there was something for me that he had rather than not even if it meant having to change my whole entire belief system, even if it meant having to, and I mean that in him, not even, even if that meant having to let go of a whole lot of stuff that I put in play thinking it was, but my thinking it was never really bought me life. See, you'll know if we're in truth because you'll be in life. And I know that can be hard to hear at times. But if you are in him, you will experience his life, resurrection, and you will experience life. And the more you're in him, the more life. So there is a maturing that's happening, and you come into more joy, more peace, more of him. And those other things become less and less and less. And that then demonstrates itself in an external expression. So the challenge for us all is that God's saying is, if you come to me, and if you ask me, then I have a realm, a dimension of living water, which is found in me, not in everything else, but only in me. And it will trump the natural. Give me an example of this, Greg. His love. His love. There is a dimension, because it's him. So God is love. Okay, this can be tricky too, isn't it? We talk about Jesus. Well, Jesus is love. He is the spirit. He has joy, peace, righteousness, patience, all the things. And yet we can pull them out of him and then talk about them individually. But we have to realize they all go back to him. So if you've received Christ, you've received love. 
So it then becomes about what measure have you received? But we go, well, we're in the fullness of him. I go, okay, but is that then being demonstrated in a literal reality? Because on the revelation of the Christ, I built my church. So he talks about a love that goes beyond the intellect, how wide, how high, how the length of this thing. He says, have you received it in the fullness of it? Because at the receiving of the fullness of me, my love, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be able to demonstrate it. It will radically affect us if we receive him in the measure that he is. So we have to grapple with this reality. And I think the church has done a really bad job at teaching this because we say, well, you've received Christ, so you've received the fullness of Christ, so you have it already. And so we settle for that. And we walk around telling ourselves we have the mind of Christ. I am a warrior. I am all these things. I'm a but you know what? There's really not the corresponding life of that, what's coming out. And I still struggle with this, and I still struggle with that. And man, they talk about overcoming. Man, I'm being overcome most of the time. I don't seem to wake up with this brightness. I don't have this joy. I don't have these things. But yet they keep telling me I have all these things. So there's a disconnect somewhere between what I say and who I am. And that's true, and it's right, and you have to contend and grapple with that and be humble enough and honest enough and transparent enough to admit it. Why? Because the Father has the whole deal for us. But unless we admit it and recognize it and acknowledge it, guess what? You're never asking for what's on offer because you think you've already got it, but you don't have the corresponding life. And the enemy loves to keep us in that state. Can you hear what I'm saying? Can you relate to what I'm saying? Because, guys, we are to be the most on-fire people on the planet. We are to be able to demonstrate something of him because of the God we actually know. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened to the knowledge of. And that knowledge is to be birthed within. So there is a dimension found in him that really we all have to seek. You didn't finish when you decided to follow Christ. You started. And the only difference between a non-Christian and a Christian, really, is that a non-Christian hasn't yet started the journey of discovering truth. And that's a whole lifetime. And a follower has. But if we look and we point and we think they haven't got it and we have, guess who's in trouble? We all are, because you can't lead them anywhere that you're not going anyway. And yet he says, this whole thing is about maturing into the fullness of me. And there is a dimension that exists within me. So we have to receive. So four and a half years ago, I did not have a revelation of the fivefold. I did not have a revelation of the bride of Christ. I did not have a revelation of the millennial reign of Christ. And I really didn't pretty have too much understanding on the kingdom of God. The way I have today. Now, I'm not saying I have the full understanding of any of those three things or four things. But I have a greater revealed position today which has created and birthed so much life within me 
that I feel a little bit guilty. I know I shouldn't, but I sort of do a little bit. Now, how did that life come? So how did I receive this revealed position, this knowledge of Jesus? Because that's all it is. Remember what I said? All the knowledge, the treasures, Colossians 2, are hidden within Christ. So if I get a greater revelation of the bride of Christ, I'm really getting a a greater revelation of Christ. Where? In me. This is what I didn't do. I didn't take all the scriptures about the bride and the kingdom and start proclaiming them. I didn't go on this war chant. Got to profess, got to confess. I am, I am, I am, I am, I am, I am, I am. I don't know what that is, but I didn't do that. I sat down. Firstly, I, I recognized that when I was brought this truth, I was not in it. So I recognized. I haven't got a clue what you're talking about. I can see it written down. I can see the scriptures and I can read them. But I had no revealed, life-giving, life-changing, something that was in me that was now causing joy and peace and like an abundance of overflow. I've been taught a lot of stuff. So I recognized, then I acknowledged I said, Lord, I'm not in this. Then I turned to him, repented, and turned. And said, Father, if this is your truth, and if this is for me and us, then Holy Spirit, I'm going to seek and pursue this reality. And I started a journey which lasted 18 months of asking, seeking, Knocking, asking, seeking, and knocking, asking, seeking, and knocking. I would listen to messages 10 times in my car. I would be listening and eating and be found at the dinner table of the stuff I was hearing. I was writing every scripture that I could find. I'm listening to different things. I'm searching out people that are in this renewed position and they're teaching it. I'm hungry and thirsty for more of him. And I'm asking and I'm seeking and I'm knocking. And I can remember sitting on my couch Tuesday, 2.30, sun shining into the lounge. I'm on the back wall and he revealed to me the bride of Christ in me. Through my discussion of reading his word, going, Father, you say that if I love me, others, other things, I'm not worthy of you. It's the red letters too, so it's Jesus talking. And you, by the way, you can't be a disciple of mine either. Oh, gee. Maybe for the first time, that truth literally apprehended me. I was arrested by it. Being arrested can be quite violent, can't it? 
being put in handcuffs behind your back, physically manhandled and put to the ground, especially if you're aggressive back. And I was arrested by this question. If you love your brother, your mother, your wife, your children, in fact, Greg, your own life more than me, you are not worthy. And I said, worthy of what? He said, to marry me. And then he said this, Greg, if you turned up on the day of your wedding and Danny came down the aisle and she turned to you and said, you know what? I actually love this guy over here more than you. Would you marry her? I said, no. He said, well, I put it in my word. Would I want to marry someone that tells me all the time that they really don't love me because they love this person and that person and these things and they spend their time? He said, I want them. I've invited them. But would you, would you, would you do that? Because I'm looking for a two-way relationship. And, mate, we are so good at receiving his love, but I don't know. How great are we at passing it on and loving him back and loving others? Not with our human love, but with his love. And you know the reason why I think we struggle so much is because we try and do it in our human love because we haven't yet received a measure of his love or the revealed position of his love that enables us to love him and love others. So there's a dimension and a challenge for me and you to be found asking and receiving because I received those three things, the bride of Christ, the millennial reign of Christ, and the kingdom through a pursuit of just asking, seeking, and knocking. And you know what? I was resting in that. I wasn't in anxiousness. I wasn't in worry. I wasn't stressing out. I wasn't getting all antsy and or trying to, you know, like squeeze one out or something. I was just like resting. Sorry. That was not the Lord. And I rested because he loves me and I love him. And I received his living word. And from receiving, I didn't try and understand it. I didn't go and try and study it. Well, in your unrenewed mind, that will do you a lot of good, won't it, Greg? I have to receive it to understand it. It has to be revealed in me for me to come into the knowledge of truth. This is the pattern of Scripture. Paul, Peter, Philip, they all have to be revealed why do you think I'm banging on about this? Within. And a continuous within. So tell me to John, and then I'll just do the scripture. John 4. I mentioned this last week. He spoke to me as Mel was speaking. I'm going to read it quite quickly. John 4 verse 7. Because once again, we are to live from his resurrected life. He died. He rose again. And we are to live from the fullness of what was accomplished that day at Calvary. 
Do you know he died for the power of sin? Not just to cleanse your sinful nature. He died that you would never sin again. So the measure of you pursue that. Now, there's a contradiction because the Bible says you saying you're not a sinner, then you're a liar. But at the same time, on the other side of that, you go, well, hold on, you die for the power of sin. You die for the stronghold of sin, which means I can live a life and walk a life where I'm becoming less and less entangled with stuff and more and more living a life of righteousness. And you talk about walking in maturity and coming to the fullness of God. So once again, not living as a mini-God, I'm not a mini-God, but I can live a life of righteousness that is so glorified because you in me that actually, you know what? Peter's shadow healed people. So there's this interesting dimension that we have to grapple with and not just write off the fact that, oh, we're just human beings. Just mere humans. I love people say this, oh, but we can only, Greg, we can only ever know in part. You know when they say that? The part that they think they know is that. And ultimately, I think people say that. This could be a big call, but I think we're trying to justify our own position so we don't seek for more. Because the part that we can know is endless. What did Mel say last week? The Spirit searches all things, the mind of God, and makes them known to those who love Him and spend time with Him. Interesting tension, eh? But I can even know in part, well, it's a massive part. And then that revealed in and I live from. John 4, 7. There came a woman from Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. That's a shame. That a dimension can be in front of a person, but they never tap into it because they're not asking, because they truly don't know the dimension is in front of them. Is that us? Is there a dimension that exists right in front of you that you are completely unaware of, and yet it's right in front of you, and it says if you would ask of it, you'll find it? Can you understand how important it is to search and seek for him? Isaiah says, seek for the Lord while he may be found. Well, I thought he could always be found. Isn't he always with me and in me? What is he talking about if he's always in me and with me and he'll never leave me, yet search for him while he might be found? I pray you can hear what I'm saying. So here's this reality. Lady, if you knew, if you knew the gift, if you knew who I was and if you knew the living water I'd bring, you'd ask for it, but because you don't, you don't. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. He's just talking about a heavenly concept. He's talking from a language from another realm, and she goes straight into the natural. See, she's of the earth, and she thinks like the earth. So she hears through the lens of the earth. She's just gone that way when Jesus is trying to take her this way. wonder how many times we do that. And the well is deep. 
Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Oh, I was just a little bit before him, actually, but yeah, I breathed them into being. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. They're the simple words, but do we take the time? What's he saying here? Oh, I just read over them. and You're never going to thirst if you drink of the water that I give. See, once again, Jesus is painting his dimension, his reality, his perspective. Not ours, his perspective. But the water that I will give him will become in him. Everyone say, in us. A well of water springing up to eternal life. I love when that happens. You, you, you only mean to step to say one thing and they go the whole verse. It's awesome. Thanks, Shirley. So here are just some quick observations and questions for us. Are we receiving this living water from our relationship with Christ? They'll come up behind me. So this is what I want you to go away and ask yourself and really ask him and then acknowledge are we receiving this living water from our relationship with Christ? Is this living water becoming a well of water in us, springing up to eternal life? Once again, knowing eternal life is not just the future, it's now. I want to live an eternal life, an eternal-minded life, a reality now, a resurrected life now, coming into the fullness of what was paid for at that cross now. So then I'm fully able to partake of a future reality as opposed to just thinking eternity is always ahead of me and I'm waiting for it. I need to bind that mindset and slam it to where it came from and realize that there is a reality and a dimension, a transcendent reality that we have to live from. The early church all found it. They were baptized into it. Don't think Paul just woke up one day and went, I think I'm going to become a follower. He lived his being from this position I'm describing. No one in their right mind would say, guess what? I'm compelled, Anwar, to go and die. Do you want to come with me? And even when the church tried to put him or gave him a picture of him, I've seen a man whose belt is yours tied up. And if he goes there, he's going to be tied up. He says, get out of my way. I'm compelled to go and place myself into that situation for his glory. Not because I'm living in the flesh, but because there's someone, some substance in me greater, and it's trumping, and it's triumphing, and it's overcoming my flesh, the natural, the physical. It's so great, I'm compelled who in their right mind would do that? Well, he was in his right mind. The mind of Christ. Can you see this other reality that exists that can be ours? Because it wasn't just Paul, it was the church that was living in this dimension. They found it in him through the outpouring 
And pretty much we have diminished the power of the Holy Spirit and diminished the work of the Spirit so much that all we have today is our own ability to do. And it's getting us absolutely nowhere. Well, it actually is getting us somewhere frustrated, burnt out, thinking about giving up and can't be bothered. And everything's hard. So he's asking us these questions. Has our, has our or is our thirst quenched because of the well of living water we've received? So once again, remember, this is a dimension that he's talking about coming in her. Not outside of her. I'm not talking about going to a well and drinking some water. I'm talking about the transformation that happens to you and I because we are the church. We are to become the church that he talks about and sees. Here are some observations. If we actually know the gift, Jesus, and the life he brings, we will be found asking for this living water. It's a natural response. I've said this many times. Nobody and nothing can compete with the love of God. No one has been created to. No one has been designed to. Nothing can compete with the love of God. So if there is someone or something in my life that competes for that position in my heart, I say this in love, we just haven't yet met him to a degree and received that that would trump that. At the moment we seek him and receive a greater dimension of actually who he is for who he is, not who we think he is, and that's living and real, you will naturally take your hands off that and put your hands onto him. Because I don't know any human being that can compete with a love that endures all things, perseveres through all things, continually will be there when everyone has run away. Anyone else? Anyone found Superman or Superwoman yet? Don't try and make them into that. That's why marriages don't, that's why marriages fail. Because our attention is right here and not there. You give to me. You complete me. I need love from you. And I'm going to suck the life out of you. And then I'm going to flick you off. And I'm going to suck the life out of you. That's what the world's doing. Church isn't too far behind. 50% divorce rate. But when you find two people that realize where the love source comes from. And are in it. Living in it. Why? Because they're found at his feet. Receiving from it. Guess what happens? It just comes and it goes out, and it comes and it goes out, and it comes and it goes out. So you find a couple in that place that then can minister to a couple that are in the other place and share a reality and a dimension because they found it. Amen. The living water is if the living water is present in us because we know the gift and have already asked and received and can. Sorry, I'm butchering that. It's a long. Actually, flag that. Jesus promises this living water to those who ask. Our asking is the key to receiving. This living water quenches our thirst 100% for anything of the natural. And that's where we're going to land the plane. So, Father, I thank you that, I thank you for everyone here thank you that your heartbeat 
bursts for us. And I thank you that you have covered us with your son's blood. You have sent your spirit. He has been sent on a mission to fill us more and more with your living substance, which is you. And his role, yes, it is to comfort us. Yes, he has to do those things we feel, but his role, a greater dimension, is to lead us into the fullness of the reality. So, Lord, today I pray that we would have a fresh, renewed perspective on the Holy Spirit. I pray that with perspective we would see him for who he is and understand his role, and then we would submit ourselves to the role or the mission that you have given him. You've assigned him to lead us into this dimension. And so, Father, I pray that we would understand that, see that, and yield ourselves to this. I pray as Paul prayed that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened and that this dimension would be coming birth more and more and formed in us. Father, that we don't have to scramble around looking for love when it's needed, but it would just innately come out of us because of the lordship, the kingdom, the knowledge of you that lives within us, that love would be there because you're there. When a peace that's required that literally goes beyond the the situation or the circumstance we face, it would be present. We wouldn't be scrambling trying to put on the helmet of salvation. It would be present because the Christ, the armor, the true armor, which is you, is present. When those arrows fly, they just hit the helmet and drop down. They'd hit the heart and drop down. They'd hit the back and drop down. They wouldn't even pierce. They wouldn't have room. And we would turn and just look like the two men did that entered the promised land and just laugh and say, is that all you've got? Because your enemy is so puny compared to the God that lives within me and the field and the force that lives within me, this protective barrier that lives within me called the presence of God, Jesus himself. And so, Lord, I pray that we would walk this out together. I pray that we would invite one another to walk with each other. I pray those that are weak would be carried by those that are strong. I pray that we would be who you're calling us to be. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.